Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howls, five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders, your vision, their experience delivered. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Make the Difference Podcast. We have a returning guest, uh, backed by popular demand. Uh, a lot of you guys wanted to hear more of what he had to say, so Don Mills is back. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to let Chris introduce him because he's going to do a better job at it, and he's also going to um, explain why he's here. Uh, there's been uh, some recent happenings within the Mayday world, and Chris has a better grasp on that than I do. So I'm going to turn it over to Chris, let him do the introduction for those of you that haven't uh, listened to the other episode. All right. Well, so thank you. Uh, today we have the, uh, as we put it, I think last time, the great and powerful Don Abbott uh, with us. Um, and so for those of you who don't know Don, uh, Don has been a longtime member and longtime leader of the American Fire Service. Um, and, and had uh, many different jobs from chief officer to training officer to, to working specifically in the Phoenix Fire Department, uh, helping us develop our command training center way back in the beginning days with uh, Bruno and, 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 and those folks. And, and now is uh, the leader of um, uh, what is affectionately called the Mayday Study, is uh, uh, projectmayday.net. And uh, where Don and uh, a group of scientists, a group of professionals from the American Fire Service, have um, initiated this, uh, uh, this, this study to actually start to measure a lot of the empirical data and information and some of the subjective things that, we, uh, can, that can be drawn uh, out of Maydays. So they've developed a really cool, uh, interesting uh, questionnaire um, that gets submitted by departments and individuals that, that, that uh, ha experience a Mayday. Uh, hopefully it's a successful outcome to a Mayday, and, uh, and many of them are not. And, um, and then from that initial um, uh, evaluation or that initial assessment, then Don and his team uh, dig further into that, and they uh, oftentimes are able to speak with the individuals, uh, speak with company officers, speak with uh, command officers, uh, that we're all working as a part of this Mayday. So um, it has produced this gigantic mountain of data and information that Don is uh, and, his, and his folks and, uh, uh, sift through daily uh, to try and actually make it usable for the American Fire Service. So uh, welcome back, Don. Thanks for being here. And uh, I know we have plenty of stuff to talk about today. Yes, thank you guys for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so, Don, uh, interestingly enough, so uh, when you were here, uh, 
well, earlier in the year, um, we had talked about a lot of different things that you had uh, been uncovering and some interesting facts uh, that were, demo, uh, you know, consistencies in May Days, what were, what were causing May Days, um, and then uh, some interesting problems with staffing and training and the things that are probably fundamental to having some of these May Days. And so now you're starting to see some, some increase in this activity, and we can attribute to a few different things, but I'll, I'll let you go ahead and just describe what you're seeing. Sure. Uh, first of all, we're now up to 7,293 May Days. Uh, when, when did in it five and a half what, years. Yeah, okay, five and a half years. I yeah. was going to say, what's the time frame? Yeah, and um, we've seen a dramatic increase, 35%, basically in the last 14 weeks. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And um, we'll talk about those uh, as we go along in more detail. Right. The so number that's 14, one. Over 1,400 a year. Yes. Yeah. 1,400. And we're a only year getting and, about 15 to 20%. And 120 a month. Yeah. Holy shit. You did that fast on your abacus. I'm Asian. I'm Asian. Yeah. That's why I'm, we're, we're real good with math. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that. Um, I'll start sort of from the beginning, because the one thing that is inherent in the fire service is that we do some things very, very well for short periods of time, and then for whatever reason, we stop. And part of it has to do with culture. Oh, and, yeah. And we know that that's probably the most difficult thing in the world to change. So the first thing that we're seeing that we're doing very, very poor job of is the risk management component. Um, the most effective risk decisions mean looking at the situation for what it is and the reality of what it is. And, I, and what we're seeing is that there's a psychological component in our decision making. And sometimes it's clouded uh, because we don't look beneath the surface. We just see what we want to see. And there's more to the size up than what we're seeing, but we're not painting that picture. And by not painting that picture, then we don't really understand the depth of what the problem is. Um, and sometimes we get comfortable with that. And our assumptions are that, that uh, things are going to get better, and, it, and that's not always the case. So when we evaluate the situation and it's changing or developing, in the first three to five minutes of any incident. Um, you can identify a variety of different things and how you are committed both physically, mentally, and emotionally. And uh, the difficulty is, is sorting through the levels of risk. And we, we revert back to the simple risk management plan that Bruno come with, up with a long time ago and I think all of you know what that is, is, you know, save a lot, you know, risk a lot, et cetera. While we say that, we sort of don't do it. And I'm not sure why that's the case. And um, so what we have really sort of started looking at is something that we call unsafe acts. And um, if you go to our, our uh, website, um, somewhere around slide 130, somewhere in that general vicinity, we've developed a sort of a, a, a matrix flowchart to look at. It's called unsafe acts. Mm -hmm. And it, there's two categories. There are errors, and then there are violations. And under the errors, 
There's decision-making, uh, skill-based errors, where we do something that we know is wrong, and we continue to do it because we've gotten away with it. Or we were never taught the procedure correctly. And then there is what we, the, the perceptional errors that are due to misunderstanding of information or a misperception of what that information was that was given over the radio, and we don't react to it uh, appropriately. And then there's the violation side, which is the routine stuff. And then there's what we call the exceptional violations. And what we see a lot is we have the SOPs and we have training rules, but sometimes we enforce them and sometimes we don't. It's sort of the culture of our business. Yeah, sometimes we train on the wrong thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, I've just spent the last couple of days with the iChiefs people. Uh, they're doing a virtual uh, training session for Hazmat uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And one of the things that sort of talked about, I, I talked about there and then we had discussions on, is the fact in Hazmat, um, there are so many different components to it that it's hard to train for any one and be right all the time. But we have people training on things that they haven't done for three and four years. Sure. Because they don't see it in the field, but because it's out there, let's train on it. You know, let's train on a seed kit which is a seed kit is a chlorine kit. Yeah. When's the last time anybody has ever put on a seed kit? Probably five, six, seven years, but we'll do it annually. Yeah, maybe at their initial training. Yeah, right. and, and so we're seeing this in the structural side as well. So when well, we can look... I, can I ask a question, yeah. Don, before we yeah. go any farther? So on the size-up part of it, uh, and that ties directly into risk management because when we talk about strategic decision making, the first step is size up and assessing what's going on and figuring out what the problem is and then applying some level of risk or, or how much risk you're willing to tolerate based on, on certain things and they have to do with savable lives and savable property. Are we, uh, are we misinterpreting the fire behavior, the building construction, the conditions, or are we... Um, applying risk management appropriate or in, inappropriately to certain conditions. Does that think, make sense? Yeah, it's, I think it's a little of both. Okay. Uh, and the other, there's a third component to that is, and that is, is that a lot of people, if I'm engine nine, I'm listening on the radio for somebody calling me. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I'm not paying as much attention to the other radio traffic until I hear engine nine set. And what we've got to get back in the habit of is listening to all radio traffic because your radio traffic, while it may not seem important right now, in five minutes it may be. Yeah, it's painting the picture, right? Exactly. It's help having everybody understand that common operating picture and, 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 and what truly is going on in the yes. fire ground. So we have a lot of people that sort of tune out the radio traffic until they hear engine nine. Yeah. And okay, now we're part of the, the problem. No, you're you're the part of the problem from the beginning to the end, not just when they talk to you on the radio or ask for a report. So when we what we're seeing is a variety of different trends that are sort of what we are calling crossing over from one problem into another. Mm. And that's where we're what we're really seeing. When we look at the seven thousand two hundred and ninety-three May days. Uh, we just updated all of our information at as, as of June 30th of this year. Um, 
Number one is being lost and separated from hose lengths. It has been for about the last year and a half. It makes up almost 20% of the May days. Number two is falls into basements, which makes up about 18% of the May days. Air issues or air problems makes up about 18% of the May days. Falls through the roof now represent about 15% of the May days. And for the first two and a half years that we did this project, that was number one. Yeah, I recall that. Yeah, now it's dropped Specifically to Specifically at night, right? At night. Yeah. So now it's dropped to number four. Interesting. So that means we're doing what we need to do, and we're doing it better, you know. Uh, then followed by entanglement, explosions or collapses, medical, uh, others, uh, category, which is assaults and other things. Yeah, right. And then no communications or lost communications. So when we look at those categories, especially the first four, we're starting to see that one sort of leads into another. And uh, when we look at where they're happening at now, commercial buildings now are only one percentage behind residences for May Days. Interesting. Residential May Days make up about 44% of the May Days. Commercial buildings, 43%. And part of the reason is we're starting to see more commercial building fires. Uh, last year, if you look at the NFPA statistics for 2019, commercial building fires were up 4.5%. Anecdotally, uh, I can say, at least in our city, that we're absolutely going on more commercial fires right yes. now than it certainly feels that we've done in quite a while. Yeah. Any reason why? A uh, age, age of building, like... Are they packing more stuff? Well, I got, I got to think the socioeconomic situation that's going on right now with the pandemic uh, plays into that uh, uh, to a certain degree for, for probably a bunch of different reasons. Yeah. I don't necessarily mean that they're all purposeful, but right. uh, people, you know, maybe they have less employees and they're, you know, people are paying attention less. It's just like the fire service. I got to think most service industries and most uh, and most businesses are running short right now of people and resources. And so accidents are going to happen more often, more than likely. Yeah. And the, the other issue in, with commercial is, is that um, there's a great example out in the West Valley. They built a 220,000 square foot warehouse. Could only, no takers. Nobody was interested in it. So they subdivided it. Now, it's a variety of different sizes in a large building, and we don't know what all is in there because there's now what was meant to be one company is now basically 19. There's 19 different companies in they this all, building. They all compound each other. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and, and in some cases, the walls for separation don't go all the way to the ceiling. Or to the roof, I should say. Yeah, right. You know, so <laughs> it's I, like an inside swap meet. Remember? Yes, we, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like going into some of these office buildings in high rises where the cubicles only go up six feet. Yeah. You know, um, so I think there's a I think age is not as big a factor as vacant buildings. With vacant buildings, owners have a tendency not to put a lot of investment into fire protection. Uh, or and, security. Or security. Yeah, sure. And what we're finding is, and there's a couple of good examples uh, in uh, the Gilbert Chandler area, basically where some of these warehouses 
have now turned into temporary storage facilities. Interesting. You know, uh, they were never meant for that. The sprinkler density was not designed for that, but that's what they have turned into now. Right. Is, Makes sense. Is basically, yeah, sure. uh, there's just boxes and boxes and boxes uh, on shelves of basically printed materials. Uh, Intel, for an example, has... Uh, has done this. You know, they, they ran out of room, so they rented a, a building never intended to be used for record storage, but now it's become their record storage area. Gotcha. So I think there's the changes in occupancy have created some of these commercial building problems. It's kind of ironic that a, a, an electronics company would be storing a lot of paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know why? <laughs> Probably history, too, it, well, part of it. You know why? Because I worked for a large government contractor. Yeah. The government. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I got it. All right. The That's the way it. they function. Yeah. 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 Okay. you got to have somebody to sort papers. We work for the <laughs> government. You know how efficient they are. <laughs> exactly. So, yep. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So. You said 220,000. Square feet. Yes. Yeah. So we were just in a 50,000 square foot warehouse 30, 40 minutes ago. Yeah, that seemed gigantic. Yeah. So multiply that by like whatever, four, yeah, four. four and some change. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. That's Giddy big. up. You know, that's and then big. you go out in the West Valley and you go to the Amazon warehouse. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. that's 1,240,000 square feet under roof. That's insane. You know, if you look at the way it's designed, et cetera. So these buildings aren't getting smaller. Yeah. You know, in some cases. No, um, and then you look at all the overhead hazards that you can't see when there's when the building's full of smoke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden you're walking across the floor and you lose your footing because they've got rollers in, on, oh, in, yeah. in the floor For sure. to basically move stuff. Yeah. Which makes it even worse. So, totally. yeah. That's so that sounds great. Yeah. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps getting better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. So uh, there's a couple of things. When we look at the hose where people are getting lost, and we know why people get lost because they're not on hose lines, uh, but getting separated from hose, one of the things that, that's happening is, is, again, we're not getting good spacing on hose lines, especially in commercial buildings, because everybody wants to be at the end where the nozzles are. Yeah, right. So you have nobody advancing a 200-foot section that's getting hunting up on a bunch of stuff. And nobody wants to be back by the door feeding it. Nobody wants to be 40 feet in feeding hose. Sure. Those kinds of things. And then we're not doing a very good job of understanding how much hose we've got to fight the fire with. You know, how much did we leave in the parking lot? You know, how much is between the front door and where the fire is? Mm-hmm. And we have a tendency to underestimate the length of that hose to where the fire's at. And then we suddenly realize we can't reach it. Let's well, find another door. Well, especially on a commercial fire. Yes. And it's a tall building. You could lose 100 feet. Yes. Yeah. Right yeah. off a get-go. Yep. So it's, it's, it's become a, a fairly significant issue. But, uh, Don, uh, any, any ability to measure the decision-making uh, that is involved with folks getting off lines? Are they communicating any thought process of, yeah, I did, I got off the line, I got lost, here's what I was thinking, or here were the decisions I made that created that to happen? Yeah, and in our interviews, most of them are led, uh, those, uh, some of the poor decisions are basically come from company officers. Interesting. Uh, giving orders to crews, go over here and search. 
you know, when you get done, come back here. You can say that, but how far is over there? Yeah, right. You know, it, the boss should not be part of the problem, Don. No, no. <laughs> and and I think we get, and, and again, it's this residential, commercial mentality. I think you go into most houses, you can get away with that because you go into a room and search it. It's maybe you're off 15 feet off the hose. Right. You go into a commercial building and, and you don't realize how far you're getting off the hose until you try to get back. And I think that's where part of that problem is, is I think the company officer has good intent because it does speed up the search. But at the same time, it puts greater separation between me and you. And are we losing communications in some of these buildings, which is somewhat of a problem. Sure. Any, uh, any connection to leaving the line for uh, what we believe to be known rescues? Uh not really because no, the word known rescue is it that that truly doesn't happen very often no, where we actually no. know we're going to rescue somebody we're we always have this assumption that there were always there to rescue somebody and that's not often the case when we looked at our 7293 may days known rescues where a rescue was actually physically performed was less than 0.9% what, Which tells you Can you do that lot. math, Brandon? Yeah, like less, <laughs> well, it's basically 1% of, yeah, right. of like the 7,000. Yeah. There, it's nothing. It's yeah. nothing. 70? You know. Yeah. But we, we, we have that excuse that we're not sure, so let's make sure, you know. And I think... That's a huge push right now oh, in the yes. fire service, Don. It, it is. That, that emotional charge of uh, they're worth the risk. Yes. I agree, but when they're there. Yes. And when we... when. And, and we've got to make really good decisions about yeah. figuring out whether whether we actually truly believe they're there or not. I have yes. a hard time time buying into we think or possibly or it's like, no, I just saw Chris 30 seconds ago or a minute ago or five minutes ago in this location, something like yeah. that. And yeah, and I don't want to take away from the times when we really legitimately have to hang our rear ends out to do that. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, it can't be... The, the alibi, right? Uh, yes. Garrison uh, talks about that. Rescue alibi is allowing us to do stupid shit. It just it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and and, and that's, that's part of the problem, right. is that we've built in acceptable excuses to do things when they're not smart. The risk management, yeah. pl plat, uh, uh, risk management plan doesn't outline that. Sure. You know, but... We create that excuse. Let's get away with you know. Let's yeah. see if we can get away with it today. And because you can sudden, doesn't mean you should. Exactly. And those are split second decisions too. The, the, oh yeah. That happen without a doubt. Without a doubt. A second. Yep. Not, next thing you know, it's it's bad. Yeah. So you know, and, and getting back to the host thing, there's a, a very large mist Midwestern Fire Department that in March, and unfortunately, the pandemic started about then, and but they made a decision. All their attack lines are 250 feet. All their attack lines are. It's pretty yeah. significant. Yes. They've color-coded every 50 feet. So when you get to a particular point and the color of the hose changes, you know that the red color means you're between 50 and 100 feet. Uh, when you get to uh, what they're referring to as the lime green color, it's 100 to 150 feet, and then the next color and so forth. And they've had a, 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 what I would consider to be good feedback from their people 
in regards to knowing where they're at in distance into the building and knowing what they've left in the parking lot. You know, yeah. already I'm on the red hose line and I'm at the door. That means there's still 50 feet out here. It's totally set you up know. for firemen. Yeah. <laughs> well, I honestly, I was you know? just thinking, I have worked with more than one person on a fire truck that was colorblind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. My son so, is colorblind. Okay. And yeah. he's a, you know, and he's in the fire service. So, uh, right. yeah. But what they now realize is, is that when you, you know, like I said, I'm getting ready to go through the door and I'm on the red line, which means there's already 50 feet in the parking lot. Yep. Uh -huh. So that means I only got 200 feet to work with or 150 feet or whatever those might be. So I think anything that we can do to make it easier for our people to understand what they're getting into and so forth, I think that's a big deal. Do you see uh, those departments also talking about air? Because the amount of hose, uh, again, it, because you can doesn't mean you should. So uh, how do you manage your air at the same time? Well, I've got 150 feet, let's go. Well, you may not have 150 feet worth of air exactly. to get in and out. Exactly. And, and you know, and one of the things that, that uh, in, in some recent interviews we've done, and we're now adding it in all of our interviews, is a lot of the firefighters who have had May Days that have been out of recruit school less than three and a half years, mm -hmm. one of the comments that we got from them was, is when they were going through recruit school, uh, they were taught to they they had a usually uh, they had a, a a firefighter or a company officer who's been on the job for a while, yeah. and he would do air checks. You know, hey, everybody check your air. Well, we don't do that on real fires as much as we probably should, especially when we get into commercial buildings. Especially if I got a crew of three, or I got a crew of four, we're not all breathing the same rates. Right. So. I want to know who's got the least amount of air on my crew of four. Yeah. And that person's going to be feeding hose. And you've already thought about who's, who you know is going to be the biggest exactly. consumer on your truck. I was going to say, if it's a regular truck, like, you know, oh, it's going to be You know be who so it is. So, yeah, it's yeah. going to be John, because John's no shit. And that's why I think it's important as a company officer. When you get somebody coming in that's on overtime or filling in or whatever it might be, I'm going to... Before we even get very 15 minutes into the shift, I want to talk to you. Sure. I want to, you know, how you, you know, look at you, you know, are you a big guy? You know, uh, how you do, how do you, how you doing with your air? You know, yeah. I've done pretty good, you know, and because I think oftentimes we make the assumption, hey, you know, they're going to be okay. And yeah. that may not be the case. Uh, yeah. I, I had one last night and. One dude, I know, like, I got a good 10 minutes in him. That's it. Yeah. Great guy, you know, whatever, like, works out, trains, stuff like that. But he's not set up for 30 minutes. He's set up for 10. Yes. So, so and not, yeah. and we're finding that most firefighters are set up for 16 minutes. Yeah. No, I can. I mean, interesting. That's, that's, that's kind of where the numbers, uh, where it tapers yeah. off. Huh? 16, 18 minutes. I that's, would say 5% of our department could, could go 25 to 30. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. At a at a serious yeah, working culture. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And like and 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 those guys would be good skip breathers. They'd be good at controlling their breath. Like they'd be tactical. Or actually just thinking like about their air while they're working. Yep, exactly. That would yeah. make me happy. For yes. Sure. Yeah. And and you brought up something that we're we as as a whole we've gotten away from. We're not teaching 
box breathing, straw breathing, skip breathing. We're not teaching those any longer. Hmm. And that's how you survive a May Day, is when you had that May Day, you need to change your breathing uh, behavior. And basically, I'm going to do it with skip breathing, straw breathing, box, whatever technique you've been taught or you feel most comfortable with. Yeah. That's what's going to buy you that extra five, nine, maybe 12 minutes of air. Well, I so, think, too, a lot of guys, when they're getting ready to enter a structure, when it is going, when it's something where your heart rate's up, like they're not taking that last, all right, you know, let's take a couple, two, three breaths, focus, breathe, now we're going to go. Like most right. guys aren't doing that either. No. Just to bring it all and, down. And I think it's important. If I'm the company officer, I turn to my crew. Everybody ready? Thumbs up. Yeah. Everybody yep. ready? For sure. Yep. I want to calm them down before we walk through that door. Yeah. Because yep. that, that puts them in a, that calms their, their mind down and it calms their air consumption down. Well, that brings so. up a point that Chris and I were talking about this morning after that was was I think a lot of that has to do with, especially in our department, the lack of experience that our company offers have right now, everything else. Like they're, they're so worried about just being able to get to the right location, uh, make sure that their crew's pulling the right line, make sure they have... Did I um, say the right stuff on the radio? Yeah. Uh, I yeah, think they're so, legitimately yeah. worried about like, that. Did I fuck this on-scene report up? Yeah. Um, do I know where the hydrants are at? And Chris brought up a good point. Like, And I'm going to let you say it because you're going to say it a lot better. Like... As a new company officer with zero reps, maybe haven't had a lot of fire, you have to take, I think you said five things and go. Oh, yeah. So you have to, uh, we've been talking about this a lot. There's our, when our incident action planning or planning for action on the fire ground, after you've sized it up, after you've, you've thought about risk management, after you've defined your strategy, your plan is a culmination of job knowledge. It's a culmination of experience. It's a culmination of fire behavior. Uh, um, your knowledge about building construction, uh, and then what the capabilities and capacities are of whatever company you're working on or whatever the companies are that are responding. And you've got to be able to put that all together and connect them. And if you're weak in one of those areas, uh, and, uh, then you're going to struggle and you're going to have a difficult time until you're either able to train, you gain the experience and other things to shore that stuff up to help us, um, to help them make better decisions. Do you, are, does that play out in your in your oh, data? Yes. Very I'll put a so. timeline on it. Now do that in three minutes or less. Go. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that that'll. I think you, you you hit it on the head when you said that. Basically, company officers want to do things right, mm -hmm. but with a lack of experience and a variety of other things, I'm not so sure that that trying to do certain things right leads to good outcomes simply because uh, they get confused. You know, did I do those steps right? You yeah, know, yeah. You know, that or kind they're of trying stuff. to apply the wrong thing at uh, the wrong time. Exactly. Or, you know, based on the conditions or based on, you know, what's truly happening. You know, Almost and, like they're trying to check boxes. Okay, I yes. said this, I said that, I yeah, said that. Yeah, using an algorithm. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus you know, and, creative thinking. <clears throat> And you talked about air usage, but I think for us, I was, we just added these slides, <clears throat> and they'll be on our website. Which is? Oh, uh, projectmayday.net, probably at the end of this month. But one of the things that has really helped us is if you have the new edition 2018, 20, depending, uh, SCBAs, you've got that data log device 
incorporated into your SCBA, which is like a black box on an airplane. Sure. And now that we're getting those and we can start to analyze the information, one of the things that we have saw in when you look at these data logs, they don't lie. And, and, uh, right, yeah. But what we're finding is, is there is a threshold that we pass, and we're and right now, depending, and we're trying to break it down to, by age category, height, weight, and experience, and it's it's an algorithm that's been pretty difficult to basically. Say, that doesn't sound easy. It, it's it's not been. But what we've been looking at is, there seems to be areas that at uh, you're inside the structure, somewhere around the nine minute mark your breathing starts to increase significantly. Mm -hmm. And again, it doubles at about the 17 minute mark from that nine minute mark, it doubles now. Interesting. And what, the, what these data logs have been telling us and, uh, is that there's a point in time where uh, when you call the May Day, there's a three-minute piece right after the May Day's call where most people are using 24% of their air in that that's, three to that's five That's the minutes. emotional response, exactly. would you say, Don? Yes. And that's what we've got to figure out how to do a better job of training and making sure people are aware of that mentally. And in the back of their mind, we say, calm down, slow down your yeah, breathing. Right, right. It's easy to say that. It's damn difficult to do when you're For in sure. a basement. You just yeah. fell through a floor into a basement or you've had a partial wall collapse or you've been caught in a room in a flyover, you know, type sure. of thing. But the one thing the data logs are telling us is that that first five minutes after the May Day, we're using 20 percent of our air. And you may not have much more after that. Is uh, is that specifically the individual involved in the mayday, or are we looking at everybody that was on the fire ground? It, the crew of the victim, their mayday usage increases almost 15%. Okay. And so because now they're looking for their partner. Yeah, right. You know, they're yeah, looking yeah. for a crew member. I think So it's not just a... a, a as what we've been telling people is it's not just a victim issue. Oh, it's a crew issue. Yeah, right. You know, because the crew is going through the May Day experience. Yeah. They yeah, may not sure. be the one trapped, but they're damn sure going through the same mental processes that the victim and is. And quite potentially, they're, uh, they're, well, we know statistically, they're in uh, one of the, well, they're the second best group of people that are going to solve that May Day outside of the individual, right? Exactly. Yeah. But what we're finding is there's a struggle in doing that simply because they're so involved into the May Day process that they become as much a victim as the victim does. Interesting. Yeah. If they do not, if the company officer doesn't, guys, yep. let's, let's calm down. Let's slow our breathing down. Understand we've got to find Joe, you know, yeah. or whatever, or whatever. It's that company officer's job to get his crew under control because they're going to do whatever they got to do to rescue their buddy, their partner. And what we're finding is, is we're doing the things that we shouldn't be doing that makes us worse and doesn't prepare us to make the rescue. Well, 
lack of experience. Yes. For sure. So like like in that situation, like lack of experience. Then someone who is untrained or not trained and, and, and either has not put themselves in uncomfortable situations to be able to calm themselves with an extension of that to calm your crew. On top of that, I mean, it's a fuck. It, it, it's a recipe for straight up disaster. Well, so, oh, yes. so interestingly, uh, in the IAFF Fireground Survival Curriculum, one of the biggest things after a mayday is breathe, organize, and act. Yes. BOA. Uh, so that's a good thing. It's good that we've been teaching that all along, and now we have data that shows that that's probably that much more important. It is. It is. And I, and I, you know, and um, I had a discussion recently with. Uh, a couple of training officers and one of the things we talked about was is that um writ teams don't make very many rescues right and there's a lot of reasons for that but they are probably if they're well trained they have good leadership and they're prepared mentally and physically before they go in and they have the right equipment for the may day that they're probably the best honest rescue people that we've got simply because they're coming in from the outside they're not part of the problem they're part of the solution where the interior crew whose partner is the victim in the mayday may not be the best rescuers yeah right. you know unless they have a good company officer who can control them so well and and yeah, yeah. I, well, I can, I, I definitely see that that potential. And it, you, but on big, complicated firegrounds, is are they in the right spot at the right time? That's uh, that I, that's, I, that's that's this is going to be an interesting balance of how do you how do you how do you make that most effective? Yeah, because because yeah. I can see if 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 you're coming from the outside, you don't know that layout. The uh, company that's in there knows that layout a little bit better, and to be able to translate that, like, hey, we think he's here. Like, you have no. Well, clue. so those are limited resources typically on fire uh, fire companies. You know, oftentimes a lot of departments it's, will have, they're res heavy rescue folks, people that train for that, and when they show up, and you've got, let's say, you know, here we've got a large fire, you've got multiple sectors, is you can only put one or two companies in so many spots, and yeah. if they're in the right spot, awesome. And if right. they're not, you're, they're at a disadvantage, too. Well, I think what we have basically been seeing, and I think we knew this, but I think our data is, I think especially in the next six months, by the end of this year, I, I think we're going to realize the importance that company officers play in the prevention of May Days and in having to respond to the May Day. And I think we have all know it. Uh, we've known it for a long time, but I think that we've got to do more training with our company officers than we have been doing in the past. So you've got some specific information about that, Don. So some specifics of when companies officers are having to to manage them, uh, whether uh, and if they ha and if uh, if they are the incident commander, you know they're at a much greater disadvantage. Um, if they don't have uh, a, a battalion chief there as an as an incident commander, they're at a greater disadvantage. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the what we're seeing is, and I'm got to uh, bring it up here in just a minute. I get the uh, what we're finding is is that um, when we break down our, our statistics, but more so than probably anything, the interviews are sort of the the telling tale here. Is that um, there's a variety of issues, and 
And uh, part of the problem is, is that we have not prepared our company officers as well as we should for leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not talking about necessarily for a May Day or anything else, but I'm just talking about leadership just in, in general, a general sense, right? In a general yeah. sense, because uh, a lot of these firefighters, you know, uh, you know, one day I firefighter, next day I, you know, the company officer. Yeah. And how much training have we given those people to do their job as a leader? And I think that's a critical component to this. And I think right now, or in the past, we've just not done a very good job of it. So when we look at company officers um, in general, uh, one of the things that we keep seeing repeatedly in many of these May Days is we're company officers al allow significant SOPs to be violated for whatever reason. Like uh, operational type SOPs. Yes, mainly fire ground type stuff. Yeah, right. And they let them, and they, and they know what they are doing or a member of their crew is doing is wrong, but for whatever reason, they don't want to speak up and tell them that. Stop it, you know? Yeah. We need to do it this way, you know? And a lots of times it's, it has to do with leadership. You mm -hmm. know, how do you deal with that individual? And it's, and it's compounded twofold when it's on the fire ground yeah. because you may not have the time to fix the problem so well, if you've let it go that far that, uh, that, if, and you're in that situation you you're already behind the eight ball exactly like like, like you've lost if you can't set that expectation just in the station then no. you're you're you, and as a rover it's even harder but oh. you know and like that's where but that, it's that much more critical yeah yes i'd say that yes. that, that conversation yeah. in the morning of if we get something this is how it's going to get played yes and i it, and and i think that's a critical part of this because in our interviews with some of these May Day victims where they've had uh, uh, right, or, uh, step ups, write ups, whatever you want to yeah, call uh -huh. them, they, they, in the interviews, one of the questions we ask is, is how much interaction did you have with the company officer in the first 30 minutes at the station? Of the shift. Of the shift. And most of them have told us none to little except. I, you need to mop the floor. You need to do this. You need to do the that. Stuff that really matters, Don. Yes, yeah. So, you know, stuff You've that's going to save your you life. Don't. Yeah, right. You know, and See, finally, finally, Don has backed up my unwillingness to clean and do stupid shit in the morning because there's so many other more important things to do. The you data do, supports yeah, it. Yeah, totally. You can only fit so many things in, right, Don? Exactly. exactly. Yeah, all that other stupid shit. Chow, what time we're working out, and how we're going to handle the fire. Yeah. <laughs> Top three but, things. But again, in these interviews, when we asked that, you know, well, in the first 30 minutes, how much interaction did you have with the company officers? Man, not much. They just told me what yeah. my, I needed to do today. Right. Did they talk about your assignment? Okay, I want you to, you're going to carry the irons, you know. Uh, I want you to, you're going to be the nozzle person. You know, yeah. none of that. It's sort of, you know, it's it's more who's going to clean the toilet than it is who's going to be on the nozzle. Right. You know? And that comes down to leadership or like an approach to be able to talk about that stuff or eat supervisory training because firemen are like, they're the easiest people to talk to when it comes to asking them how things are going to get exactly. done. Right? Yeah. So, so how do you approach that in the morning when you talk to that crew? Is it, Hey, Hey guys to help me out. 
can we figure out a plan or whatever else instead of like talk, you know, speaking to someone like who's doing this, who's doing that, or like you're going to do that more of a collaborative environment. I don't think we teach that. I mean, I've never been to a captain's academy. I think I, you know, or whatever else. So he dodged the captain's academy multiple times. <laughs> just so you know, I tried to attend, but they just, they, I just, I just yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard those excuses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it, it's 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 we found it just sort of amazing in those interviews that. You know that you're not talking about the stuff that's that's life saving in general, you know. And there's several of them that said they didn't have those discussions at all. So, do you think that's uh, based on experience, Don, or do you think that's based on culture? I think it's a little of both. Okay. I think from the experience standpoint, if I'm a captain and I'm coming into a station, that especially if, if there's a lot of veterans in that station, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure I want to upset the apple cart because yeah. I'm just here for a shift. For sure. But maybe the apple cart needs to be rearranged mm -hmm. because maybe that officer's not doing their job. Sure. That's there every day. And that's a hard thing to, to talk about because, you know, wow, what's this guy know? You know, yeah. you come from engine three, they don't make any runs. Doesn't mean I'm a bad officer. It just means we don't make very yeah, many right, runs. Right, uh -huh. Well, that's yeah. our empathy. I think could, we could do a better job as uh, as uh, coworkers of being more empathetic to the new guy that's and bosses. Out. Exactly. Yeah, bosses. And bosses, yeah, yeah, too. Sure. Tolerate, oh, yeah. tolerate, guy. Hey, hey, listen, man. I just want to make sure that if we get something today, I know what you want out of me. Uh, what do you want? Humility, right? Yeah, right. Being yeah. humble, like you know, coming at it from that angle. That yeah. I think with most most firemen, I think you're going to win in that oh, situation. Oh yeah. I, I think, and I think most firemen want direction. Or want clarification. 100%. Or want 100%. clarification. Yeah, they do. And they, they may not tell you that at first, but exactly. afterwards they're like, hey, man, thank you so much. For yeah, when they get it, they yeah. really like it. Well, probably because they yes. don't, yeah, they don't get it. They're like, what the fuck yeah. is this? Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, that was helpful. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, I think one of the examples that we had a May Day late last year were uh, prior to the May Day to show you how, conf and I, and I, I think back to a th the Three Stooges movie, to a certain extent. <laughs> but, I thought you were talking about us. Oh no, no. <laughs> but uh, we're we have it's a veteran captain who I think because he worked with veteran crew, never had to say too much. Now he gets two firefighters on overtime, and both of them go for the nozzle, initially, you know, to pull the hose off. Sure, yeah. You know. And he's looking at him like, you know, and suddenly later he realized he should have set that crew up at the beginning of the shift. You know, no, you're going to do nozzles and at six o'clock we're going to switch spots. You're going to take the hose in the nozzle and you're going to do this. Yeah. You know, whatever. But we're, but in the process, you know, he said, I just made the assumption, you know. Yeah, and, you know, and and sometimes those conversations are very easy because I, I I've literally looked back and said, you guys got the plan, like you guys know what who's taking the plug and who has the nozzle. Yeah, we got it. Okay, cool, let's go. Because I want to be able to give them uh, that trust to be able yeah, to, some buy in. Yeah. yeah, you know to figure that. You stuff know, you out shouldn't themselves. have to tell them everything. Yeah, please. You know. But when they're yeah. but, but when they're people that are very unfamiliar, sometimes just just the little extra de level of detail. Is, yeah, can oh, be very helpful. very so. new guys. I would be more direct. Yeah. But like you know, seasoned seasoned uh, nozzle men, they're in the back. I would just be like, hey man, you guys got a plan back there, so I kind of know what's going on. Yep. And that's kind of it. 
So Don, do you see do you see departments that are doing a good job with training and expectations? Because uh, the because um, the situation is probably the same for the most of the, the the larger fire departments in the nation. We by just but by sheer numbers, we we have more inexperienced members than we have experience. Exactly, and that's and what we're finding in our we're looking at that in more detail this year than the first five years, and we're trying to you know look at that as you know and what we're seeing is is about I think we're at fifty seven and a half percent of most fire departments. Uh, most of their members have 12 years or less. That's significant. It is. I would, very yeah, significant. I would say ours is probably less than that. Maybe. I would say 10, 10 yeah. or less years. Yeah. yeah. It's a, would you say that uh, then, oh, well, so are you seeing departments that are doing a good job in training and doing a good job in their testing so that they're getting the most experienced or the best experienced people in, the, in their promotional processes? Yes, and one of these departments, they're not very big. And when I say not very big, they're two, about 200 people. Okay, yeah. But one of the things that they do uh, is basically um, they have a, they, when they go to do, instead of having like a CPAT test, uh, they actually bring in people and, and, they run them through what they refer to as a five-weekend academy. And after they run them through five weeks, you either get a green card or you get a red card. Green card means you get to advance and make application. Red card means think about another wow. profession. You could call, I like that. You could I actually like that. call that a pre-academy. Yeah, yes. Almost. I mean, well, well, Chandler has that intern academy. Yeah. It's similar to that, but I like the green and red card. Like, I'm all for not everybody gets a fucking trophy. So, yes, yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm and, totally good with that. And what they have seen, and because they're, they're a department that's only nine years old. Interesting. You know? And, yeah, they can set a standard. and They can set a standard yeah. and make change. But what's been interesting is, is, the quality of people that they're getting now in their training academy because they're not dealing with people who aren't as interested in the job as what we make it to be mm -hmm. because the, one of the problems that this department had when they first started was is a lot of people, they're a 20, they work 24 off 48. And this was an opportunity to have a really good full-time, part-time job and come to the fire department to relax and rest. Yeah, right. You know, and that culture sort of changed while a lot of these people still have part-time or own their own companies and so forth on their days off. They're just as focused when they work at their part-time job as they are on their full-time job, which is the fire department. So that you know. I got to guess that that expectation is a top-down expectation. Yes, it is. They're 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 looking for those people from the very beginning, and they know that's who they want. And the and the the prospective employees or the employees know that that's what they're supposed to give. That, they, yeah, that's, exactly. And and sort of from the top down, uh, and and again, it's a smaller fire department. Therefore, you can do some of the things they do, but uh, they do a. a they have what they call a, Philip, a physical agility air comp, uh, air, 
agility course, something to that effect. Okay. And on the, when they come, when the crews come in to do that course, there is a chief officer going through that course with them. Nice. That's it, it, whether it's an assistant or a deputy chief. Yeah. Because, and on the very first day, the chief goes through it because he wants everybody to realize that the culture that we need to have starts at the top. Yeah, and that, if, that's so incredibly powerful when oh, the yes. person at the top yeah. actually values, values firefighting. It. So like I said, they, they on Saturday, they do the class in the morning. On Saturday afternoon, they practice it with, uh, there's uh, basically three people on a crew, and they have a captain. And then on Sunday, they actually do the performance. And at the end of five weeks, like I said, uh, they, they basically, you get a green card, you can make application now and go through the process, or you get a red card. Try I love again. it. Think Try about again. another I profession. I mean, we're paid, in my opinion, we're paid extremely well for what we do. You better have your shit together to be able to make that step into that type of type, that type of pay. Like you're, you're, we are compensated better than I would say most people in this country for what we do. Yeah. What we do is dangerous. We're paid for a small percentage of the things that we actually end up yeah, doing. Yeah, We're sure. paid to be ready to do yep. those. Things. Worst case scenario. Yeah. For yeah. sure. So what it's, it's let them do is our recruit academy is just 10 weeks. And uh, what's a typical? I only know ours. Like, what's a typical length of a We're not untypical. No, we not. actually might be on the short side. Really? What are four, you now? Uh, 14. Yeah, because we were at uh, the average is 15. 15 was what what I had it at, and yeah. we've gone 15. down since then. Yeah. I want to say I was 12 when I went there. Yeah, you were 12, 12 to okay. 15 that, that, is the that, range. That okay. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they my, go. My goal was 600 hours. If you could become a paramedic in 500 hours, you probably should at least spend 500 to 600 hours learning to be a firefighter. Well, some of the yeah. dumbest guys I know are paramedics. You know that, right? I've never, <laughs> I've never seen a dumb paramedic. Never once. You're I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> no. Please, Don. Please, yeah, no, 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 no. In my age, you don't want to say anything bad about paramedics. No. <laughs> well, that's so, the awesome thing. At your age, you can say whatever the fuck you want. No, yeah, no, cares. no. Yeah. They're going to be the ones working on you. Yeah. Right. you know, so, yeah. No, you don't want to go there. Uh, let me, because of time, I yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's well, talk can, a little about what hey, we're, we can talk until you're tired. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about what we're seeing in, in, since basically March 8th. Um, we saw a 35% increase in May days. Uh, and that's pretty significant. That's huge. We've went from getting five or six every day to eight or nine, at almost doubling. And we're only getting 15, 20% of all May days. This pandemic or having to serve as standby for protesters and protests. Yeah, simultaneously. Yes, simultaneously has basically created a variety of issues. Number one is the overtime issue. Um, we had a May Day just a few weeks ago that occurred. He was working his 71st straight hour when he had his May Day. I think that's common right now. Giddy up. You yeah. know, I've yeah. heard a lot of guys do that. We need to be really watching how long we're letting some of these people work for at busy stations. Yeah. Being sleep deprived of what's now a term that uh, uh, Dr. Stewart uh Different, uh, different Dr. Stewart. Yeah, different Dr. Stewart. Oh, your wife, right? Not, <laughs> spelled, not spelled the same way. Right. So, but uh, as he put it, you know, uh, they're mentally fatigued. Totally. 
And when you're mentally fatigued, that means you make bad decisions. Right, yeah. Yeah, and the data backs that up. Like, Oh, yes. In my master's, my thesis was basically ties into sleep deprivation and driving and what it does and all the other stuff. Like, it creates some really crazy things, some suicidal um, uh, ideations in people uh, when they're up for too long. Obviously, your reaction time, all that. It creates some really, really weird stuff. Why do you think they use it in torture? Yeah. Yeah, Sleep deprivation. Yeah. Uh, That's that's huge. So... What we're seeing is 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 that there's we need to expect and and I just had a discussion with a, a a very large fire department their assistant chiefs last Friday and what came out of it was we should be expecting a May Day on every fire simply because people are working uh, long hours they're fatigued mentally physically. And their performance shows it. Saying we should expect a mayday is way different than being prepared to have a mayday exactly. on every call. Exactly. And that's what an incredibly powerful thing to, that a department would say. Yes, yes. And and the data's, you know, just showing it. You know, like I said, we're finding we've, on the average right now, just on what I'm referring to as pandemic maydays, it's people on the average are working their 56th hour when they have their May Day. That's an average. Wow. We've got people that have worked in excess of 90 hours straight. Mm-hmm. Well, and there are ways around, like I know some departments have a 72-hour rule, but there are ways around it. Guys will take a couple hours vacation. Exactly. So they can go back and do it again. You know, and, and, I, and what we're running into, and this department in particular is running into, is nobody wants to work overtime now. Yeah. Because they're fatigued. For a lot of different reasons. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of reasons. I'm sick of being exposed. Yes. I'm sick of being at protests. <laughs> I am. I'm tired. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Variety of things, and so that creates a situation where we let our guard down. Sure. We're not as situationally aware as we should be. It's taking longer for us to react to what we're seeing. Absolutely. And. Communications is one of those things that's suffering. When you listen to some of these these audio tapes now, what the hell did he just say? It's like right. he's talking to stay awake. I mean, wow. that's what it sounded like. Wow. He, he, what did he just He's talking to stay awake, you know, like he's talking to himself almost. Unbelievable, yeah. So, and I think what's bad or maybe even worse is when you have a whole crew that's just worked 56 plus hours together. Oh, geez. Yeah. You know, uh, and now they're going into a commercial building fire. The building's 100,000 square feet. And they're not thinking clearly. Yeah, right. You know, and there's where sometimes we're making group decisions because none of us in the group has a good rational thought. Sure. Immediately how to solve this problem. So sort of like, what do you guys think? Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, well, like dumb and give me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you, you know. seeing that uh, at all levels? Firefighter, company officer, command yes. officer? All the way down. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and what, what I'm most fearful of is when you have an entire alarm that's basically that fatigued. Sure. You know, what you hope for is, hey, the IC's, you know, he, this is his first 24-hour shift, so okay. But no, he's on his 48 hours. 
you know, he's working a double. Yeah. And all the crews on the first alarm are working a double. Sure. Yeah. That's when it's not going to go good. You know, so, you know, at the end of this conversation last week, it was, yeah, I think uh, we should just prepare to have a May Day on every, every fire. We should, you know, we should think that we're going to have one. How common yeah. is it, like for me, if someone rolls into the station or whatever, and they're like, oh, I'm like, hey, man, how's it going? Or blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, I just worked 48. I'm like, go to fucking bed. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. go to bed. That's, that's one of the things that uh, one department in particular is doing now is when the guys report to the station and their floats coming from a different station right. who've already worked at 24, company officer says, go to bed. Yeah. Is that yeah. uncommon? Because I feel like I, it is. Because I think I think it's I think it was one of those things where I don't want to go to bed because that's it's not what I'm here for. You know? oh, I'd go right no. to bed. Go right. Yes. Yeah. No. Or fucking. Yeah. Well, because yes. I, I understand it, and I I think some guys and I, they still wear that badge of honor of sleep deprivation, which is the stupidest thing to ever wear. <laughs> like just go to fucking bed. I and like it, when guys push back on me. My 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 response most days is, I'm going to need you sometime today, and when I do need you, I need you to be ready and 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 be as good able as to you can be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it, and let me go back to the May Day where the guy was working the seventy first hour. In the seventy one hours, he drank five monsters. Yes. <laughs> Giddy up, a shifter. Anthony. Yeah. You know, wow. simply because it's the only way he could, he. The only way that he could really stay away. He's using it to cope, yeah. 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 Throwing PVCs. Gosh, <laughs> yeah. Dehydrated, so, no sleep. Blood pressure's through the roof. Yeah. yeah. Jesus. So, you know, I think we got to educate our people to make them understand that we know when you're working that many hours, that's not the answer to your problem. Yeah, no. No. You, need to t you need to sleep. You need to take those 20-minute naps. Yeah. Power naps. You need, here's the things you need to do. Drinking five monster cans <laughs> in 71 hours is probably not the answer to the problem. That's yeah, impressive. That is no you know, lie. That is you know, impressive, I don't even right? know if, you know, I don't know if, how my body would react to no, drinking that many, uh -uh. you know, but, but people are trying to cope different ways and a lot of what they're trying to cope with and do isn't healthy. It just adds to the problem rather than solving the problem. Right, right. So, so, so Don, uh, back to the, to the, um, the time working is so we have spent the last well I'll, I'll say since the economic downturn in in 08 2000 you know that 2008 2010 period where fire departments city governments municipal organizations have gone to this efficiency model for their public safety uh, programs where where we're probably running with less people than we should to to manage the uh, all the things that we need to do and to be um, and, and we're definitely under um, resourced to manage a surge or a problem and lack that resiliency to be able to have a pandemic and to have uh, uh, civil unrest and have all the other things in our cities to manage it and it's causing our firefighters to be worn out and it's causing our firefighters then to make bad decisions and then ultimately having some type of bad outcome is it's going to be really interesting trying to get city governments and fire chiefs to pay attention and wake up to that instance oh exactly but you know the the people who have done well since 2008 have been the cops and because one of the things that 
we in the fire service sort of took it on as a as a badge of honor is we're doing more with less. Oh, yeah. We're proud of it. We're so proud of it. Yeah. Where the cops on the other side said, no, yeah. we're not doing well. Yeah. You know, and here's what we need. More people, more money. Okay, here it is. Yeah. You know, and that culture, while it's prideful, it's hurtful. Totally. You know, and I, I, I think that's a, one of our issues that we're going to have, we're going to pay for for a while. Yeah, well, and when, whenever fire administration and, and labor folks start to uh, look at themselves more as politicians than firefighters and public safety professionals here to do a job, uh, we lose that focus and we need to regain that focus back on our work. Oh, and yeah. It's not a political game. It's we're here to do work. It says fire department on our shirts. We better be ready to do that stuff. Yes. And, and and understand that doing more with less doesn't mean we're doing it right. Yeah. Okay, you know, yeah, no or safe. Yeah. If, or if, if a client efficient. asks me to do that, can you guys do more and I'll pay less? I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're going to get half a kitchen. Or yeah. Half your house will be built. How about that? <laughs> yeah. That's, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's sort of been a, a badge of honor for us, you know, it's when yeah. somebody, you know, when, a mayor or somebody or a council person says, well, you guys have been doing a really good job and you're doing it with less people than you did in 2004. Yeah. Yeah, Keep it up. You can do it better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And if if you had 200 less people, you could probably be really efficient. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. shouldn't work that way. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I think we see that. And now we're paying for it during this pandemic. You completely and showing that being underfunded and understaffed has hurt us in a variety of different ways yeah so one you of know. the conversations we had inside is because we did recognize this and we used your your article for for a short communication about this um but the hard part of it was is the message was Hey, listen. Uh, you know things are rough right now. We've got we've got members that are sick. We have members who have been working tons of hours. We we uh, I know it, well, one day we filled uh, 150 24 hour positions with overtime folks. Damn. Uh, um, just in one shift for us, that's a lot. We have, yeah. we have 400, just under 450 uh, seats to fill every day. So a third. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so we have that inside, but the. Uh, if you're not careful, the message is, hey, listen, we need we need people to work overtime because things are bad right now. By the way, we have this information over here that says during this period of time, we've been experiencing high, drastic increases in May days, drastic increases of, of bad outcomes for firefighters. And by the way, we need you to work overtime. <laughs> it, it, we have to divorce these issues and talk about them separately and, and, and actually strategize as a fire department how we're really going to do this because we can't, we got to quit doing the wrong thing harder, to quote uh, the late, great Alan Bernicini. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, and, and I think it, it, it's a situation, it's probably, uh, I was uh, watching a, uh, CNN the other night and they had a, a two health care or uh, mental health professionals on there. And they said, and, uh, and it's going to be interesting, is that when this pandemic's over, two things are going to happen. 
Number one, you're going to see a lot of people that are presently in the medical profession do early retirements. Sure. sure. And you're going to see a significant jump in suicides. Huh. If we don't get in front of that. Public safety has got to be part of that equation. Oh, yes. Well, when they were explaining why. Sure. All you got to do is substitute nurses and doctors with paramedics and cops yep. or firemen and cops. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. it's uh-huh. just, it, it's it's the same thing, you know. And as I'm listening to those two people, I'm thinking, damn, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm hoping somebody's tracking this because if they are, I, I think we may, it, we shouldn't be surprised by it, but there's going to be people, gosh, I didn't know that was happening. Right. No, this is pretty predictable. You know, as Gordon Graham always says, predictable is preventable. Yeah. And I think these are things that we got to get in front of, you know. And uh, uh, and one of the things that they said, and I, and I pictured this in, in my mind, is that uh, a lot of these nurses now are making money today that they've never made before. Right, right. And today, as in just just the overall need for them, or yeah, just because over time. of, because okay, of the sheer yeah. volume gotcha. of work they're yeah. doing. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yep. okay. And I don't know if nurses are on salary or not. That's I know. Well, no, it depends. Yeah, depends. Okay. And all of a sudden, while you don't have the money to match that lifestyle, yeah, or you don't have the time to match the money that you're getting. Yeah, how you going to use that it? Lifestyle, <laughs> yeah, right. Then all of a sudden, when you do have the time and you run through it pretty quick. There's nothing there to sort of re, to recompensate for what you just went through. Right. So how are people going to handle that? And uh, one of the doctors said, "I think poorly." You know. So we'll have to wait and see. Sure. You know. I, I, but I think there's there's a consequence to some of this overtime. And like I said, when I when I talked to the firefighter who who had his May Day on the 71st hour, he can't even remember what they were going on. He can't even remember what dispatch said. Wow. Because all he remembers is getting on the truck, the captain yelling at him to put his seatbelt on. He don't remember anything leading up to that. Yeah, he totally. He's just sleep. operating off an automated control. Did he say how many hours he had slept in that period? Uh, roughly about 16. 16 yeah. Not good. Yeah. No. Yeah, like 16 and think, hours. And like some of that stuff too, Chris, you were talking about like, yeah, there's mixed messages about, hey, you know, work more, please work more, blah, 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 so all, all this other stuff. But there's to me, there's nothing behind it. Like, hey, yeah, if you're working more, maybe for your mental or physical health, take these steps, get to the station, try and nap as much as possible. Like encourage that type of behavior versus just saying, yeah, yeah work more, like if you can. Like you're not, you're not taking care of the members like we're grasping at solutions yeah in this instance and where they don't they don't actually know what we should be doing yeah and 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 that's what's important because from the top if if like the top saying yeah if you're going to work a lot but hey do these things and we encourage you to do those things then that gives those guys or those captains the permission to yeah let's let's go to bed or let's go do this or let's go do whatever for that so when we do have something you are rested and don't get yourself in a bad situation yeah Yeah. and i I think it's. I th- I think we need to give them good guidance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, you know. right. That's what I'm saying. I don't know if that's a lack of of experience, 
or a lack of losing touch of being in the field and not realizing what it feels like to get your ass kicked for 72 hours. Yes to all of it. Yeah. Yes I would to say. All of it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's weird to think how all this stuff intertwines into the Mayday. You know, the uh, uh, Apple uh, Bill Gates, uh, allow, allowed a lot of their people to work from home. And uh, what they found was that the average employee during their work at home period put on 11 in pounds. <laughs> You know, yeah. and again, it's a behavioral thing, you know, right. that you, because you oh, yeah. you, you've got food right in the it's house close. all the time. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go down to the cafeteria or go out and get you something to eat. It's 25, 30 feet away all the time. You the know? level of goldfish that I consume every third day is, <laughs> is, 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 is directly correlated yeah. to how many calls I run. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I think the guidance part of it is, and I think we've got to, I think if you ask most firefighters, I need you to work another 24, they would do it without oh, yeah. hesitation. Because most are very committed to the cause. Exactly. Yeah. Most of them want to be and do this job. Yep. What we've got to be smart about is not asking them simply because we know they've already worked 72 straight. Yeah. So that happens. For oh, sure. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, so, so, so that, t- that comes to my next question is, so... So you've uncovered some very, very interesting information and some actually some hugely important information. And that once we once an organization has talked about it, you can't turn it off. You can't turn the knowledge off. No. I now know about this problem. I now know that it is a problem. I now know that I probably need to be doing things that actually mitigate it. And if they don't and we have some significant bad outcomes, uh, the consequences and accountability for uh, systems and departments and command officers is going to be really big. Oh, yes. I, and, and again, I, while we figured out what the problem is, what we're now starting to work on, what is the real solution sure. to it? And I, I think the number one solution for any department, and I've spoke to a lot of them recently, is that you've got to put something out in writing to your people that, these are the things that we want you to do during these periods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you feel uncomfortable in doing them, deny or do not accept the overtime. You know, don't think that we we're forcing you to work, even though that's sometimes how it comes across. Well, uh, you know, and there because, are times when we're trying to force people oh, yeah. to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is forced overtime, right? Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and well, I, and I know there's big cities out there that, uh, uh, and recently have had to do mandatory overtime. Sorry, you're Detroit's not going home today. Just recently did. Yeah, that. and I think yeah. Houston had the, some similar yeah. situations. And and we do a similar thing here. Um, although you can say no, there's a penalty to saying no. But there, you know, you know when we get to emergency staffing, is no, we're calling you. Yeah, hey, you need to work today. Yeah. Uh, okay, or no, I can't. Well, there's a penalty to that. Well, and and that guidance you're talking about for you know for that overtime, it can't be. A one-time memo. No, no. It, yeah, it, it, yes, I yeah. agree. Yeah, and there has to be yeah. like <laughs> like direct human-to-human connection yeah. about that yes. memo. Hey, and consistent yeah. communication, yeah. whether it be right. weekly or whatever. You know, the, that, the, the, that you send out a memo to the firefighter, but you send a, a little bit different memo to the company officer to sit down with his crew and go through your memo. 
Yeah. If you don't you're, know somebody working in your station is on their 70 or their third or fourth shift in a row, yeah. shame on the company officer, shame on the battalion chief, yeah. shame yes. on that, because you got you have to adjust your your process based on that. And that's why I said it's I think it's it's more critical today than in the past. But we should have been doing it in the past is in that first 15 minutes, that company officer needs to sit down with the crew. Yeah, right. Here are your expectations. If we have a fire, we're going to, you know, this is your function. You're the, the plug person. You're the nozzle person. Uh, not so much who's going to clean the toilet and who's going to fix lunch and all <laughs> yeah, that yeah, kind of uh -huh. stuff. I'm not having that. Those yeah. things don't usually <laughs> kill you. No. You no. know, they usually don't kill you. It's, we've got to pay more attention to the stuff that gets us in trouble. Yeah. Do you guys think you should, you're, you're, as a firefighter, you should be confident enough that I can look back and I'm just playing, you know, devil's advocate here and say, hey, take the plug without having to have that conversation in the morning? Yes. That's a tough question, right? Yeah, that's not an easy one. I think I, if it was during the day, yes. But I think if it's... 72 if, hours. If yeah. it's, or, you know, it's your second run after midnight gotcha. and you've already worked 24 or 48, you know. Well, uh, and the expectation helps that, right? Yeah. If I know yeah. that's going to be part of my responsibility, then I'm more than likely I'm going to be more successful at it. I would like a firefighter uh, to... Uh, be able to take a plug and do some certain fundamental things right. pretty much in a rote situation yep. right now. Um, but uh, but being good bosses and a good system and a good department, we, we, would, we need to make sure that, that they're prepared or they know that that's coming. Gotcha. I think. Yep. Well, yeah, that's it. And, you know, and I look at several of the other May Days we've gotten in this overtime uh, situation. And Again, a lot of it has to do with the fact that that uh, I'm, I'm trying to think it's it's more than 65 percent of those May Day's victims were working with crews that they normally don't work with. Mm -hmm. They're they're not norm. In other words, that that overtime is with another station. Sleep deprivation, unfamiliar. System, system let's call it yeah because yeah. yeah. that truck has its own system a transient exactly. workforce yeah is really yeah. really hard to manage yes you know and one of the guys and i and when he said it i sort of chuckled a little bit but one guy's comment in, in one of my emails was uh i felt like a homeless person <laughs> in the fire department yeah <laughs> living out of their car yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. you know and, and really you know and so i I emailed him back and I said, could you explain that? Yeah. And yeah. And it was funny because he said, I have not, I have not worked at my normal station in five days. Wow. You know? Wow. Wow. That That's is, pretty incredible. That is a little scary. Yeah. You know? So be interesting. So, um, yeah. so, uh, so last time, Don, uh, one thing that I that, that I vividly recall from our last conversation was we talked about uh, training and testing, and we specifically talked. I, th I think about a battalion chief's test. Um, since January or December, when we last spoke, what uh, any more information about that? And, and do you see? Well, I I, I I see, and I'd love your comment on the fact that we were having a hard time with training, that we're not training our folks effectively, and then the testing process is askewed. And now we're having this crisis of, 
uh, of you know overtime and all these other things and this increase in maydays um the problem you identified back you know last year that's exacerbating other problems now it is it and, is yeah and, and i think that and uh, and i think if you look at uh and i i used two great examples one's gordon graham and one's bill gates sort of opposite ends of the spectrum to a certain extent but one of the things that bill gates spent a lot of time on in the first 15 years that he was putting apple together was that he said that I realized that the leadership in my company had to be the smartest and brightest people in the company, simply because they're the future of the company. Imagine that. Steve yeah. Jobs getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> and then when him and Bill, I, didn't, I did not realize all, how often Steve Jobs and Bill Gates communicated. I, I th you, you always thought that, you always thought they were as, truly as, working in parallel paths. Yes, yeah. you always thought of maybe as enemies. Yeah, competitors. You know? Yeah, but they were really more like I don't want to say brothers, but they had a they had a parallel track. That a were true following. respect, I would imagine. And both of them, and Bill Gates in particular, said the most important thing is to is to make sure that that whatever we do, we invest our time, our energy, and our educational future in our people that are the that are what he referred to as midline supervisors which for us would be battalion chiefs yeah uh-huh and when you look at when you look at now those are the people that are running both those companies now oh yeah. sure and are we truly preparing our battalion chiefs number one to be good battalion chiefs and are we preparing them to become good deputy and assistant chiefs or chiefs down the road yeah but we've got to get that battalion chief level first, and we got to get it first and foremost, because uh, not very many assistant chiefs are in charge of anything that necessarily kills firefighters compared to a battalion chief. Well, just sometimes really, really slowly they kill firefighters. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Mentally. Mentally, <laughs> well, uh -huh. or, or there's other ways, too. But, yeah, right. Yeah, well, but, but there, I... There's no real, I don't know, my experience in Don, you see a lot more fire parts than we do, but most departments, it seems like there's no clear path for those people from, from, from captain to battalion chief, battalion chief to deputy, and, and so forth. Yeah, there's not a good roadmap. No, not even, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, there's mentorship that, you know, that goes into play with that. And well, all there's, that inter stuff, there's interesting stuff. So uh, sometimes you see departments that want, they expect their battalion chiefs to be like super captains. Not battalion chief. Exactly, and that's a two. Those are two very different jobs, and you can you have to stop being a captain to become a battalion, battalion chief, chief and to be good at it. And now there are some definite carryover skills from good captains into battalion chiefs, but it's a different job, it's a different role, it's a different level of responsibility, and it's a different level of understanding. And that's and, where Peter Principal comes in. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. So typically when fire departments aren't good at that, uh, you know, defining those things, then they're not good at the educational and the promotional process. And, and I'm a firm believer that, that you, you do these in steps. There, for captains, there should be a minimum of quarterly training. Agreed. Uh, a minimum of an hour and a half to two hours on leadership. And then the uh, next hour and a half on basically tactics. How about a reading list? 
Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> Something as simple as a reading list. Yeah. Hey, you, you guys, know. read these books. You know, if you go to our website, one of the books that I really have ad adapted into what we're doing is uh, a book wrote, uh, wrote by two Marine uh, officers, which is now required reading for all Marine officers. Left a bang. Yes. Yes. Left we bang. read it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Read yeah. It, yeah. yeah. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. yeah. And when you look at that book and you understand what they are doing and how they are doing it, we just don't, you know, it's sort of that there's a, you know, we have a required reading list. You take the test and, and then you have a, 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 a simulation that you do as a battalion chief and so forth. But we need to do a better job of preparing people to move up into those positions. You know, uh, you know, you guys do a, a write out academy, yep. correct? Mm -hmm. And the write out academy or the write out academy prepares captains basically to move up and write out as battalion chiefs. That's just a one or two week program yeah. when it needs to be once every quarter at least yeah, i think it's monthly yeah. i think or every 30 it, days you you should have something going on and it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a class it could be just you go online and it's a it's a or, or as you said a book of the month type thing yes. or, or an article anything yeah, anything. anything yeah yeah, yeah. anything to encourage encourage people to to want to learn more yeah keep and, your mind and working do, and uh so when we looked at battalion chiefs and when we go back and look at our May days and we interview battalion chiefs, we have a little survey that they fill out. One of the things that I think you see with battalion chiefs is they are not as comfortable as they should be with some of their company officers. And they call and while they, you know, I, I'm not sure, I trust you what you're saying and giving me I don't know if I trust you. That's mm -hmm. good. I don't trust Chris either. Okay, so but <laughs> it's my job as a battalion chief. Why is that? And how can I help fix it? Yeah. Don't ignore it. It ain't going away. Yep. You know, but that's what happens in the system. Well, back to your leadership talk or super, supervisor, uh, supervisor training, how much conflict resolution training do captains get or battalion chiefs get? Not, not enough. Yeah. yeah, not no enough. No way, not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nothing that's consistent or actually, you know, um, there's a path for it, right? Because I know I've, I've worked for a lot of battalion chiefs, and because of my demeanor and who I am and, and my willingness to have the tough conversation, it make, it'll make a lot of people, not a lot, but it, it can make some of my, um, my bosses uncomfortable. You know, and, and we've interviewed battalion chiefs that have said, uh, I'm not surprised he had a May Day. Okay? Yeah. Uh, could you explain that? Well... The guy... That's almost the battalion chief admitting that they weren't doing their job. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that's a sort of a big deal. What did, I understand what you just said, but did you do anything to prevent that from occurring? Right. And, well, probably no, but, uh, you know, I need to work on that maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. A little you too know, late. Yeah, a little bit too late. Uh, but with a lot of battalion chiefs, you know, it's... it's I, I just... A lot of battalion chiefs, it's, a lot of it's an experience, you know, and uh, you only get that by being on the job. Sure. You know? uh, and the other problem 
when we looked at some of our May Days, and I'm not talking about a large percentage here. I'm talking about probably 10% or less. But these are people that we have moved around in the system because nobody wanted to deal with them. They knew they were a problem, but nobody wanted to sort of, you know. Have uh, a tough conversation. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of interesting because one fire department in particular, when we had this discussion, one of the people said, oh, those people, we send them to Battalion 4, <laughs> and, he take, and they take care of them. They go hide them. Yeah, yeah. well, no, because in Battalion 4, there ain't a single battalion chief there that's got less than 24 years on the job. Uh, They're tough. Yeah, yeah, and they might actually have the skill to deal with these. Yes, yeah. and, they ha- and they're from the old school. Yeah. Yeah. I don't put up with they're this shit. Scared. I like that school. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that school. You know, I'll send you home. Yeah. yeah. Next time, I'll send you home for three days. Next time, you're going to stay home forever, you know, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and, but we sort of hide those people. Or we ignore them, and then they become our next May Day. Yeah, and well, and those and those battalion or a problem. chiefs. Yeah, well, and those battalion chiefs you're talking about, at some point they be if the, uh, their bosses become really uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Hosh, I wish you'd stop having the hard conversations. <laughs> well, because you're making me do my job. Yeah, <laughs> and those are important conversations to have because, again, being mm-hmm. uncomfortable or whether physically or, or mentally, like you have to have those to be able to grow and get better, right? I just yeah. I think if I'm a company officer and I've just got the appointment, one of the things, and I get, I'm getting a permanent assignment, is I'm going to sit down with the crew and these are my expectations. Five things. They're all pretty simple. It's all pretty straightforward. Honesty, integrity, those kinds of things. You follow these five rules, we'll be fine. You don't. I'm going. We're going to be having these father and son talks, yeah. you know. And this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. Or else you can find another station. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. But we're afraid to do that, and I think part of it's the culture that we've now gotten into, where everybody gets a trophy. You're a participant trophy. Yeah, yeah, right. Because words yeah. do hurt, Don. <laughs> I don't know if, if uh, you realize that. Yeah. <laughs> words do hurt. <laughs> Um, so, uh, what are you looking at next, Don? What are, so we see this uptick, we see what's going on. Uh, what other what, what what layers of this onion are you kind of looking at? Can we summarize the uptick? Can oh we, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry, I jumped yeah, in front of that. that. No, I, I don't know. I, I guess that if I said anything in summary, it would be that for from for a firefighter, know your limitations. You know. And if you don't feel comfortable, you're going to a station after you've just worked already a 24 and another one, let that company officer know, hey, we, we had five runs after midnight. I, I need to take yeah, a nap right. or I need yeah. to go to sleep. Yep. Let them know. Be honest up front. Don't oh, suck it up. You know, I'm supposed to be a man and I'm supposed to be a firefighter and gut this out. No, it doesn't work that way. You're putting us at jeopardy along with yourselves, if you think that way. Mm-hmm. I think they've got to be more honest to their company officers. From a company officer standpoint, I think they've got to be more, more honest with their battalion chief, okay. you know, as to when they feel uncomfortable, yeah. you know, and so forth. So I think it's, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's one of those deals where we just got to talk more. Last thing is, I think, from a management standpoint, we've got to put out expectations, 
you know, understanding that you, if you've worked 48 hours, these are the things that are, may happen to you. These are the ways that you deal with it. But most important, let your company also know what you've just done. You know, I'm, I'm coming into a station. I, I don't know how long you've worked, you know, right. or where you worked at or how many runs you had after midnight unless we talk. So you need to talk in the first 15 minutes. Don't wait till 9 o'clock or don't wait till you have breakfast to talk about those things because, hell, you may have a run before you ever get there. Yep. So I think just being more open about your experiences during whatever you've just been through. So personal accountability, one. Secondly, yep. the role of the company officer to help you take some of that uh, personal accountability. Yeah, the supervisory yep. accountability. Yep. That yep. Yeah, sure. That. Yep. And then one step further at the management level, reinforcing the good behaviors and what you should be doing with your crews in that situation. Yeah, you know, it should be spelled out, you know, drinking five monster energy drinks, you know, in, in less than 24 hours or 48 hours is probably not the solution to this problem. That's not winning. Yeah, but yeah. somebody's got to say that, you know, because right. otherwise... I saw him do it. Must be okay. Must, it's working for him. It probably will work for me. Sure. Doesn't mean that, no, it doesn't work that way. So. Okay. So, so now what do you see uh, moving forward? What uh, are you seeing layers of this onion that you want to look at more, more specifically some, maybe some, uh, some, you know, uh, some things that are potentially causing some poor decision-making. Yes. We're what a, what we hope to by the end of the year and maybe in the first six months of next year is have a better idea on the prevention side. These are the things that we can do to prevent uh, uh, basically falling into a basement. These are the things that we can do to help prevent people getting caught in flyovers. Being more preventative in what we are trying to do and how we are saying it and what we are training on. That's really our focus probably for the next year is now that we've got the data and sitting down and, and we don't have the answers. But what I hope to do in next year is start putting out a, a larger survey to a lot of people. Here's the problems. Give us what you think are the solutions. And then look, gather all those up, pick three or four that are the most repeated and then try to get a fire department to adapt some of their training to some of that philosophy mm. and to see where we go from there. Uh, but the prevention side now, now that we've got the data, we want to move into how do we prevent this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and what are we looking at? What are the causes and effects of some of the things that we are seeing? And again, getting back to the Gordon Graham, uh, you know, pr predictable is, is preventable. Absolutely. And I think if we can predict some of these fire behaviors, personnel behaviors, that we can predict. Some departmental behaviors, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. And department behaviors, you know, the expectation of and so yeah. forth. You know, I, I'm doing a project with the L.A. Uh, people and one of the things that I asked on the first time that I visited with them, because I wasn't sure I wanted to be involved in the project, but one of the first things that I asked them was, 
why do you guys put so many people on the roof? <laughs> Thank you, Don. You know. Thank you for asking and, that question. And and they all and there's there's 23 chiefs from 23 <laughs> fire departments that are that encompass the the I don't I don't want to call them the board of director or whatever, but one of the things one of them made the comment was is that do we really put that many people on the roof? And I said, have you ever looked at some of the helicopter <laughs> and some of the news video footage? You have more people on the roof than you got on the ground. Jesus. You know, yeah, you're probably right. And I said, it's a culture thing. You've got, that's a problem that's fixable. You just got to fix it. Yeah, you have to make it, the choice. Yes. And, you know, and look, at, look at your last, here's 24 May days. 11 of the 24 May days were roof operations. Half. Yeah. Not quite half, but close to half. That should tell you something that's predictable and preventable. Yeah. You know? And uh, so I think that's what we're after is, is trying to come up with a variety of, of, of here's what you should be looking at and looking for because and we did that with our communications, those 16 communication phrases that we came up with. And we've just changed those percentages that'll it'll be out next month on our website. But we've actually removed one and added one. Oh, because, interesting. It, because we're hearing Because it of over time. Exactly. Yeah. And I think if you really stop and think and, and you listen to some of these May Day tapes that we've put on our, webs, on our website, you can hear of those communications clues, and yet nobody's sort of reacting to them, you know? And, and we're sort of surprised, damn, we got a May Day. No, you shouldn't be surprised by it, because over the last eight and a half minutes, yeah. they've said three of these things well, Yeah, the we've radio. been building up to this the whole yeah, time. You know, yeah. it's, it shouldn't be a surprise. So that's sort of where we're at. Yeah, Hinton calls them red we flags. Wanna, we want to really look at the preventable side of what, what's going on. And how do we do it best? Yeah. Well, and uh, so the nice thing is, 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 is uh, as averse as we are or have been historically to science and data and all that stuff, so we're getting fantastic increase in data on the fire behavior, physics, all that uh, yeah. stuff going. Now we're getting fantastic data out based on you know bad situations and, and potentially bad outcomes. Man, if we can't start making better decisions, then it is our fault and no one else's because no, it's, the information is is becoming more readily available daily. Yes, and I, and and again, it's it's I believe the core issue of the problem is communications, uh, and and again, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm listening to the radio, and the only thing I'm really listening to is them calling me because I'm engine nine. I'm not paying a lot of attention to the right. rest of the radio traffic. Yep. I'm just paying attention to when they call me that I answer and give them the information I hope they want to hear. Yeah. And instead, you should be listening to all that radio traffic. Yeah, how do I actually fit into everything that's going yeah, on here? Because engine six just said that uh, it's getting really, really hot in here. and They're in the room next door. That should tell you something. Yep, right. You know, uh, but instead, we're not. I'm not paying attention to what Engine Six says because, you know, they're not me. They're not Engine Nine and my crew. Yeah. So it doesn't mean much to me when it should mean more than what you think. Will your 
will your recommendations be a more of a holistic approach? Like, like, will you address the sleep deprivation side of it? Like eating, like nutrition wise, tactics, all that, you know, training, everything, everything. Or, it's, okay. It's, we hope to put it together in layers. Okay. Where, uh, Sarah Janke, who is a leading nutrition person who has really done a lot of work about these energy drinks and the effects they have. Yeah, on, I've read some of her stuff. Yeah. You know, putting her stuff in there. Here's, here's how you should behave when at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's not when you just come back from a run, don't sit down and have a piece of cold pizza. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> curse you. Or, or a piece of chocolate cake. Okay. You know, or oh, whatever. Don, you've gone too I far. Know, yeah. You've gone too far. How about a bowl of taco salad? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if anything, eat an apple. You know, right. Or you know, right? Yeah. You know, but looking at so we want to put it in layers. There, there's a layer in regard in what we're referring to as performance behavior. These are the things that we should be expecting during a performance of your duties whether you're in a fire, on an EMS run, on an extrication, whatever it might be, and layering it out so that you can, I can't do that right now, but I know it's... It's in it's, your head. It's in yeah. my head. Yeah, right. But when I get the opportunity, I'm going to fix it, you know, type right. stuff. Yeah. When you so. do that, let us know because we'll oh, share yes. it out on all, all our social media stuff so they can download it from your yes. website and well, all that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah you, Don, you've got an outlet here. Whenever, yeah, I know. Whenever, whenever, I appreciate however. that. Yeah, well, and I always thank you for the invitation. No, we because, this, is, uh, this is a big we deal for us. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. it's always yeah. enlightening for us, and for, yeah. especially for me. Good. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so I, I appreciate it. And so, uh, yeah, we look forward to the next time. So mm -hmm. this is a to-be-continued conversation, and we just keep learning more. So we appreciate it. We appreciate the effort of you, your, your board, um, uh, Mrs. Abbott, um uh and all, room, thank you. exactly and all the all the 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 doctors and and folks that are working uh you know that are truly combing through this information because it's it's making a difference i hope it I is hope. I, I truly believe it is so. there are days when you know you uh, wonder are we really making a difference oh, you would you would be so. surprised how much of a difference you, yeah. you're making for good. sure people yeah. good uh, the five people who listened to this gave us really good feedback on it. <laughs> uh, you're actually one of the hot topics for um, a lot of feedback on the podcast. Good. So good. Thank you guys yeah, you're for up there inviting me. You're up there with Hinton. Yeah. In a way, oh, wow. in a way different way. Yeah. In a way different way. <laughs> yeah. John's up there. He's, yeah, yeah. I would agree. And I want you guys to stay safe and the rest and the people listening. Stay safe. Yeah. Think about what you're doing and how you're doing it. So Absolutely. The website again? Uh, projectmayday.net. Uh, personal email they can get to you on? Yeah, Donald E. Abbott, A-B-B-O-T-T, -T, at yahoo.gov, uh, yahoo.com. All right, okay. sounds perfect. Well, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll continue this conversation because it matters, um, and, uh, and we look forward to the next time we have you, and we're going to, we're gonna have some other. Uh, we're gonna have some other discussions in here too. I think I've got Garrison and Hinton lined up to come in and talk again, and we're gonna take some of the stuff that you've talked about, and then and and then get it get through their eyes, and uh, and some of the things that we need to do. And we're just trying to help the people who may might not have the experience and not, might not have the knowledge right now uh, make better decisions. And so, uh, yeah, thanks, Don. We appreciate okay. it. Well, Thank you. Yes. All right. 
Well, so uh, this has been another edition of Make the Difference podcast. Please, you can find us at, uh, well, first of all, our website is, or we are, our podcast is on Lipson, Stitcher, Lipson. Apple Podcasts, um, Google, Google. Um, uh, I can't remember the other ones. Am I it, missing one? It, it's uh, not as easy as it looks. Huh? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, you're not just good looking. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you can reach Chris at at Red CP Stew on Instagram. You can reach me at Brandon Meon on Instagram. Podcast at Make Difference Podcast. Uh-huh. Give us your feedback. Love to hear it. Forty Volt Media. All right. Wrap it up. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Appreciate everything. Mm-hmm.